Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Deep End. I'm Jeff Dubisky, Workforce Logic's Chief Solutions Officer and also Chief Antagonist inside the Talent Marketplace. Very, very pleased today to have the co-founders and co-CEOs of TAN Employ, Jana Teppa and Anna Kaiser. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Deep End. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for Thank inviting you, us. <laughs> and it's great to see you both again. Uh, I, I've started to really get accustomed to seeing everybody in boxes. Um, and it'll be interesting when we're back to finally seeing each other in person. I might have to put my camera phone in front of me and just watch <laughs> you through the viewfinder. But uh, with that said, thanks for joining. You know, it's been an incredible journey that uh, that I've fortunately been able to stay in touch with you over a, a number of years now to see how your platform has evolved the adoption of it. And for those that are uh, potentially new to the name Tandemploy, in its easiest form of, of my excitement is, is the catalyst for total talent. Uh, it is that pivot of internally looking at your talent and understanding how and where the fluidity of their, their roles uh, can evolve and, and creating a human at the center approach. And I know that's far uh, understating all the things that it does. But again, that's kind of my excitement there. But why don't you both maybe give us an idea of not only A, grounding us in the platform, but B, maybe what's your favorite favorite piece of functionality or maybe use of what the, the clients are excited about? Sure. <laughs> um, maybe I start with a short description of what uh, TAN employees, what our DNA is. So we are basically offering a talent marketplace, an internal talent marketplace for companies that is mainly driven by people, not by management or HR. So there's um, a bottom-up approach where we always think about how can we create the biggest benefit for the users, which are the employees in our case. And what we do is that we offer different use cases, which in our case is matching topics. So we ask the users, the employees, what are you interested in? Are you interested in participating in a project in another department? Do you find, do you want to find a mentor or be a mentor yourself? Can you be an onboarding buddy for new colleagues? Um, do you just want to meet people for digital lunch dates because you feel very lonely in your uh, Corona lockdown home. Um, so we offer all those concrete use cases to get people, employees to our platform and to, to keep them active because it's actually very useful for them and a way to actively foster their careers and their development. And how great to actually ask someone what they want, right? When we think oftentimes about traditional career, career ladders rather than sort of a horizontal or, or career scaffold approach really allowing people to, to opt into other things. That, that's mm -hmm. great. That's great. Anna, any thoughts? Well, actually, Jana described it perfectly and you pitched it actually great at the beginning. So <laughs> um, I think what was what the interesting thing um, in the last years was to see how we kind of had a natural evolution to become the great talent marketplace today because to be honest we didn't plan <laughs> to be like a talent marketplace today but as Jana explained we focused on the user experience and the you know the people in the center and we always ask ourselves what's the impact for the people so the for the users uh, or the people using our platform the impact was clear right away and the fantastic thing was that we we collected in that case, data that we could never actually collect in, you know, typical typical talent marketplace software or HR analytic tools. And this was just an incredible thing because then we found out it's 
awesome what kind of data the people type in in our in our in our tool because it's just the such a precious thing for all the companies out there to find out about the potential within the organization, about the interests and the skills of the people, because we are always talking about kind of liquid skills. Skills is not just, you know, you know, you can't define it in a strict way. It must be fluid in a way. So it's about interest. It's about potential. It's about skills, uh, competences and stuff like that. So that was actually the nice evolution of our story because we just became this, this software or this talent marketplace today in a natural way and we always create data for the people and not about them and that's a really cool thing and i think you touch on something that is is often amiss when we talk about diversity of course diversity is a huge topic um for for organizations today and and obviously a very significant approach especially in the united states but we often put ourselves into certain lanes of diversity, right? In terms of very uh, specific characteristics and groupings of people. And yet I think what you just told us is uh, on this platform, an individual can feel very open to express the totality of themselves. Mm -hmm. and, and when you do that, you know, now all of a sudden you're able to tap into so much, as you mentioned, rich data, rich opportunities that you never thought that this person or that person, irrespective of where they sit in a role today, might afford them or the organization uh, better opportunities, not only to get the goods and services to market, increase yeah. customer NPS, but retention. I mean, how great to leverage those people's passions further. I'm really glad to hear that. Um, one of the things that I found most interesting, as we've spoken about your platform previously, um, is is the, the two issues that I tend to find around total talent is there's always our data internally and then all the other data that we need to bring it together. That's the totality piece. But when we get inside of an organization, there's a behavior component that I often find. And that behavior component is that managers feel that these are my employees rather than an organization, our talent, right? And so the idea of brokering or raising your hand for something else oftentimes feels like the word I hear mostly is poaching. Why are you poaching my talent? Mm -hmm. And yet we also know that if you are heavily restrictive in allowing people to think horizontally through an organization, you lose them, right? So you can either lose them externally or you can lose them to really grow internally. Where, where do you see that intersection of pushing through that behavior in increasing adoption? Because you mentioned this is a bottoms-up approach. So, so how does that work? We always call it a, like a positive kind of pressure <laughs> because our tool helps to bring a lot of transparency to a company. So you can see um, in which departments um, managers are open to, to post projects, internal gigs, etc., and in which departments um, many participants or people that are interested in, in participating are accepted. So you can see who, where are the blockers in the organization and where are the innovative people. And uh, this creates a yeah, kind of positive pressure to, to, um, to address that and see where the pioneers are and uh, push um, innovation in those departments because the other ones, they will have to follow at some point 
because otherwise their employees will approach them and will tell them, well, in other departments, people are allowed to do so. Why don't you allow me to do like a mentoring program to um, do like a short gig in another department? Um, I don't want to work in this department anymore. So this is um, what happens in companies. And I really liked what you were saying about diversity, because many times when when we when we talk about diversity we always think about gender first but it's so much more than that and what we achieve with our tool is that also the people that are not so loud the people that don't raise their hands like immediately to say hey I'm the best expert for that project I want to take part that also the people that are not so loud um, are seen because they can also type in their skills, they can type in their learning interests and our algorithms are not biased. So they, people will find those, yeah, how to say not so loud colleagues, more introvert colleagues um, for their projects and they will not stick to the ones they've, they've, they've um, managed the last project with, with are mostly the ones that sit next to you, are the ones that are extroverts, etc. So this is also a new kind of diversity and a new kind of transparency you get. A chance, a chance to be found without having to be sort of loud and proud yeah. up against those that already are regularly. Not that that's a bad thing, but you're right. Mm -hmm. Louder voices tend to stunt others, and yet there's such great diamonds in the rough there of people that could uh, lend significant. Uh, a different lens of expertise that might not be just that expertise that always tends to drive the same outcome. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. yeah. I think what's also important probably uh, to add here is that we have a culture shift in all our uh, organizations right now, and we can't stick anymore to these structures in a hierarchy way. You know, we need like networked organization and the basis is to, well, have a, whole different approach and it's important that we start trying it out now <laughs> because it's our preparation for the next decades actually and the challenges we will face we will all face in all kind of areas out there in the business world so i think we we also need to you know um have more a culture of well there are people well we can always ask our boss or you know your manager or whatever but probably it's sometimes better to ask the people with the knowledge or the right expertise and uh, it's it's kind of great to try things out in a, in this way of networking sharing knowledge etc so we get a feeling of how cool collaboration in the end is and great. how it will push our innovation within companies and especially what we can feel right now Jana and, and me after a couple of years that we we really feel that managers that actually didn't want it at the very or at the beginning or were kind of like this will never work out now see the difference and are part of the game and it's just great to see so yeah. it's more about we invite them to to be part of that journey right sure. within those organizations and it's a it's a more sustainable way <laughs> right yeah, as soon as soon as project managers see that they can stuff their projects or gigs within days and it doesn't have to take like weeks or a month. Um, of course, they see the benefits too. <laughs> well, and, and, and Jana, you bring up a great point, which is um, it, which leads to a natural question where you're kind of talking about um, bringing together projects, whether it's a surge team for something short or a long-term prospect, similar to the way professional staffing firms work, right? They, they, they cultivate people that are, uh, have capacity and they bring them together. Um, so, 
are a lot of the ways in which the platform is used to create what I would say sort of fractional people where I say, hey, I can absolutely work a couple hours a day because I'm passionate about that and like to be a part of that. And I've fit it into my schedule. Or is this full redeployment of people? Or is it all of the above? How, how, mm-hmm. how do you see that working? And, and, and also, when you think about that, while managers are adopting that, um, what are some of the disruptions there? So does that mean that, for example, I need a, a potential temp to come in to backfill someone over a short period of time? Or do I just naturally allow the, the work to fall to a job share program? This really depends on our customers, I would say, and on, our, on, on their culture. So some of our customers, they say to their employees that they have 10 to 20% of their weekly working hours for okay. projects or new things. That's really advanced, I would say. I love that, but really, it's not yeah. the case in every company. So in True. some companies we are working with, they, they start with working, our, working with our tool, but it's not so clear for the employees. So they don't know whether they, they would do it on top or in their spare right. time. But that's also kind of okay, I think, because it creates maybe awkward moments and discussions And this is the moment where something changes because people discuss with their managers and topics come up and you have to find new solutions. So I would also describe our platform as a room where we create the chance for like awkward moments where, where companies really have to reflect on their current processes and their way of managing resources. Sure. Well, in, in 10 to 20 percent, I mean, initially it sounds like a lot, but when we think about a typical 40 hour week, we're talking about a half a day to a day mm -hmm. yeah. spread out potentially across a week. Now we're really talking about sort of that collaboration and job share, which doesn't right. have to be as complex. That's I, I like the way you mm -hmm. put that position that for sure. So so then when we think a little bit then about um capacity planning, right? So I think one of the things that you're also bringing forward as a, as maybe an intended or maybe an unintended consequence as this evolved is now all of a sudden you're starting to, to plot capacity versus utilization, right? That's what we're really talking about is a lot of times people will find that extra time to be able to be a part of that project or, or work with that team. Um, and now all of a sudden our, our efficiency uh, it matches against strong capacity. Uh, do you have ways of measuring that or do you have uh, um, customers that have suddenly said, gosh, I've seen this huge productivity gain and yet I haven't added any net new headcount? How, how does some of that measurement look and, and within workforce planning, how does that help? Well, actually, Jana, I would say we are kind of testing it since the very first day, right? <laughs> Not just with our customers, but also in our own company. And of course, what we have to say, there is no one-fits-all solution out there for all the companies. And it's important um, to actually, actually to see that we would need as many flexible working models as we have people in our organizations, kind of. But it's important that we use all the things we know about productive work and uh, happy work actually and healthy work because then it will help the companies and the people and what Jan and I for example did we we got rid of the full-time job as a description or definition oh, from the very okay. first beginning because when we, people were applying to work in our company we always ask what how many hours do you want to work per week because we kind of created a structure internally that we have like tandems 
stop sharing tandems, teams, whatever. And we always try to, to, to fit it in a way that we have, you know, collaboration at its best and in a way where we don't have any risks at certain positions when a person is, is sick or parental leave or on vacation or whatever, that we always have best informed people within the organization. And I think for all the or, uh, um, companies out there, it's so important to see this chance. As soon as we have this collaboration at all levels and try to work more in teams and not only think in full-time jobs, because why do we think like one job fits best in I don't know, 40 hours a week or something, you right. know, I mean, Jan and I, we always That's say crazy. We, we, we always say we share our CEO position uh, of 80 hours per week and we <laughs> kind of work quite human. Right. But yeah. <laughs> right. right. And, I, and I think you're, you're keying in on something um, um, which obviously also shows um, some differentiation uh, because you're right. Professional knowledge jobs, we can't necessarily pin to a direct correlation of a number of hours. Uh, we just know that it needs to be completed. Uh, and we have a good idea fundamentally of, of how to drive that. But uh, I, I, you know, I don't think I've really had a job for, I don't know, at least 20 years where I did what the job description said. Um, so, so after an organization has used the platform for a while and gets a better feel for really what their workforce does or what they're looking to do, uh, do you find them adapting their job descriptions as well? Maybe yeah. rethinking the entirety of what a, a role is versus quite honestly, the fluidity of, and composition of skills that you want someone to bring to the, to the table. Yeah, that's really cool to see because many of our customers are adapting and um, optimizing or changing their processes and um, also policies. So for example, one of our customers got rid of the headcount. Another one started to post like every leading position as a job sharing position. And now managers have to explain whenever they feel that it is not a job sharing position. So they have to explain that and not the other way around. And this happened at SAP, for example, which is one of our biggest international customers. So that's super cool <laughs> sure. and um, we really see that with the awkward moments as I as I said it earlier we create um, we create changes in in strategies and policies and HR programs and this is so cool to see and it also led to a situation where we I think we, we didn't have any customer churn within the last three years because once companies are using our software, people feel so valued, employees feel so valued that they are offered um, this tool to shape their own careers that it's really hard for companies to turn it off again. Sure, sure. You're forcing their hand. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like very positive change for sure. And the nice thing is uh, it sounds like a lot of this is just a creative growth naturally. It's installed more adoption, more data, more fluidity, positive retention, all those wonderful things within the, within the, uh, the, the uh, platform itself. So, so we've covered a lot. We've covered inventory of skills. We've covered some of the adoption and value proposition. We've talked a little bit now about headcount planning or lack thereof, which is really kind of wonderful if you can almost release yourself of some of those artificial constraints. Um, do you have any idea? And I know again, it's, it, you're you're starting to change uh, uh, throughout the the uh, the platform's evolution. Um, are you able to track uh, retention 
and um, and and overall employee satisfaction, sort of at a baseline of when it's installed and where it is today. And if so, what are some of those uh, general points of light that that are positives? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we track that with our customers because with many of them we do like. Um, surveys all around the, the platform implementation and after one year, two year, et cetera. And we have some ways to also measure, measure that within the platform. And it's really cool to see that the, um, the attractiveness, the employer attractiveness goes up <laughs> from the perspective of employees, obviously. And also um, productivity goes up because for example, we, really, we are really successful with um, fostering the time to staff, the time to hire for projects, et cetera, all those hard KPIs, um, <laughs> which right. also lead to more productivity in the end. And in, in many, many cases, we could, we could already measure that it uh, makes people feel, as I've said, more valued and more happy at their workplace, which is just great. It's such a concrete way to do it, but I think it's very, very powerful because if you, if you offer people the chance to make new experiences within the organization, this is a really cool thing to keep them, um, to make them happy, to not, yeah, to, to, to not be bored, <laughs> to just uh, let them experience something new. Uh, it's really sure. powerful. And That's I think great. also important, Jana, and that's what I like the most. Most of the companies, they always have expensive advisors, right? <laughs> For all kinds of topics. But as soon as you get a feeling of all the expertise and potential within your organization, you don't need uh, such a huge advisor's budget anymore. So it's a really great return on invest there. Yeah. No, that's that's wonderful. And, and, <laughs> and honestly, it's, 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 it is that opportunity to drive decisions around data. Right. I mean, I, I, I know we yeah. talk a lot about predictability and in my almost 30 years now, I've started to joke with my family that I started in the 1900s by doing this um, is that, um, you know, people are predictable and yet they're very unpredictable. And, and I think environment and culture, uh, managers, cohorts, all of that influences the different mm -hmm. triggers that I, that you bring to the organization. And so I think predictability is very tough, but once yeah. you have a subset of data that is true to your internal sort of DNA, which I think you kind of opened up with, it's, it's wonderful to hear. Um, which brings me to, to, to maybe one other question. And, and Anna, this is a little bit of what we talked about earlier. And now that I've got you both, it's it's a little bit of a great story. And I'll, I'm sorry, I will completely mess up the the setup of this. So correct me, and then and then lean into this. But you know, there was quite a bit of post uh, in in the more recent past about either your investment objectives and board composition, or maybe both. And of course, this is big for SEC regulated companies. And you had some outcomes that actually were. I think driven not only by the internal nature of your organization itself, but then who was drawn to that to, to join and, and fund. So can you maybe share that story with us? You mean all, all female round, right? Yes. The famous one. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually for Jana, it was just a natural thing, I guess, because, you know, it's just when you pitch as a startup in front of VCs, you always pitch in front of men <laughs> most of the time, especially in the tech market. And we right. said, no, we, we, we don't want to do that anymore. We need a more 
diverse um, landscape when it comes to financing and, and startups or when it comes to venture capital and stuff like that. So when, when we were raising money, we said, well, we, will, we welcome new team members in our board and our shareholders, but we, wanna, we just want to allow women <laughs> for, for that particular round, we have to right. say, because now yeah. it's like we, equal. <laughs> yeah, we have to admit that even our board was very male beforehand. Mm. So we wanted to get that in balance. <laughs> Well, and, and again, I, I just think it's a great story. That's why I wanted to bring it forward is, is that you made some conscious decisions and some bold moves because we do know that there are sectors that are, that are um, overrepresented in certain groups. And, uh, and, and a lot of that is gaining different attention and different responses. Um, but I guess I, I wanted to bring that up as the last because it's a, it's, it's a wonderful story. It, it made me smile when I not only read it, but obviously had a chance to talk with you about it. And just to give you a congratulations on that funding round on those female investors and those that joined your board. And uh, I just wish you uh, much success, continued success, and hopefully see you back here uh, in the deep end uh, in the future for an update. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> Thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. It was, it was great talking to you. <laughs>